Good day and welcome to the National Bone Marrow Transplant Link, Moving Forward, How to Live, Thrive, and Stay Safe with COVID-19 conference call. Today's conference is being recorded. At this time, I would like to turn the conference over to Jennifer Gillette. Please go ahead, ma'am. Thank you so much, Sierra. Yes, my name is Jennifer Gillette and I'm the staff social worker at the National Bone Marrow Transplant Link. I'd like to welcome all of you on our call today and uh, introduce our program. Uh, today's program will focus on moving forward, how to live, thrive, and stay safe with COVID-19. I'd like to give a special thank you to the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, Jazz Pharmaceuticals, Insight Corporation, Pharmacyclics and Janssen, and our esteemed link partners for making this program possible today. Just so everyone knows how the hour will go, uh, I'm just going to give you a brief introduction for a few minutes about the National Bone Marrow Transplant Link, just in case you haven't heard of us before. And then we are going to have our speaker, Dr. Laura Connolly-Smith, joining us today and answering questions as well as presenting for us. That'll be for about 20 minutes. Then I myself um, will be providing some strategies for coping. And then we'll open the floor uh, for about half the call for questions. And then just a couple minutes at the end to wrap up and get some resources. But for those of you who are not familiar with the link, I want to let you know that our mission is dedicated to helping individuals and their families from diagnosis through survivorship. We provide resources, support, and education. Some of the resources the National Bone Marrow Transplant Link provides are to help families navigate their transplant journey through webinars, podcasts, blogs, lunch and learns, on a variety of topics, such as the one you're on today, but also chronic graft-versus-host disease, disease-specific information, caregiving, coping, treatment options, and survivorship after transplant. Our peer support mentor program for patients connects those starting a journey or caregivers, donors, or even people that are further along with someone else who has gone through it successfully as well. We have books, referrals, and we offer emotional support. So please feel free to reach out to us if you're interested in any of these services. Before we begin today's program, I would like to review a few housekeeping items to just maximize the experience for all on the call. First, when we do get to the question and answer portion today, I ask that you try to be as concise as possible with your questions just so that we can uh, provide as many answers today as we can. Also, please know that the information provided in this program is meant to stimulate conversation with your own healthcare provider and is not meant to replace your individualized medical plan. So now, on to the educational part of our program today. We are so thankful to have our first speaker with us here, Dr. Laura Connolly-Smith. Uh, she is an associate professor of hematology and medicine at the University of Washington. She's the assistant medical director of the Ophoresis and Cellular Therapy at the Seattle Cancer Care Alliance and assistant member of the clinical research division at the Fred Hutchinson Cancer Research Center. She works both in the Department of Hematology and Bone Marrow Transplantation and has significant expertise in the management of patients with complex post-transplant related complications, including graft-versus-host disease. Her other clinical research and regulatory activities focus on the safe procurement of blood and marrow stem cells for their subsequent use in the transplantation and immunotherapy, as well as the 
I am so sorry, extracorporeal phototherapy in the treatment of GVHD. So thank you so much, Dr. Connolly, for joining us today. Hello, everyone, and uh, thank you for joining us for today's Lunch and Learn with the Link. Um, a special thanks to the National Bone Marrow Transplant Link team for inviting me to speak today. This is their second program covering COVID-19, which is an infection that is at the forefront of most people's thoughts, words, and perhaps even prayers at this time. We are a month um, since the last link presentation on COVID-19 and actually now over three months from the first diagnosed case of COVID-19 in the USA. I think within the last one to two months, we've actually embraced a new normal of trying to stay safe at home. We have followed the 20-second hand washing rule. We found a new or old friend in hand sanitizer. We try not to touch our faces. We've developed very good coughing and sneezing etiquette. We've decontaminated many objects and surfaces at home, and we've donned on the most delightful of face masks. And for our most part, we have respectfully adopted the new coined phrase, social distancing. Cancer patients receiving treatments or bone marrow transplant patients with poor immune reconstitution or who are on immunosuppression or maintenance chemotherapy post-transplant are immunocompromised and as such are placed at the higher risk for complications of COVID-19. A normal immune system requires an adequate number of functioning T and B cells. These are a type of a white cell or a lymphocyte. And for example, antibodies are made by a type of a B cell called plasma cells, as well as normal neutrophils, which is another white blood cell, which helps help fight bacterial infections. In the first one to two years of post-transplant period, many patients have a reduced functioning immune system. Furthermore, chemotherapy, immunosuppression for GVHD, and even chronic GVHD itself can suppress the immune system. There is currently not enough data yet on outcomes in our transplant patients overall or by disease subgroups following infection with COVID-19. Um, a lot of institutions are currently trying to get that data. I know certainly that we have a, a study in progress trying to get this information. But fortunately, both at our institution and in many centers across the U.S., not many transplant patients have tested positive for symptomatic COVID-19. However, a higher incidence may occur as infection rates throughout the general population increase. Over the last week or two, we've heard of many states now starting to relax their quarantine to enable individuals to get back to work. And there are understandably a lot of concerns and questions from many of our cancer patients and bone marrow transplant patients alike on how to live, thrive, and stay safe during COVID-19. And I'm hoping to address some of your questions and concerns today. So what if you get COVID-19 and what treatment options are currently available? Cancer centers or your primary care provider will be able to let you know where to get tested should you develop symptoms of COVID-19. Most individuals with symptomatic infection will have only minimal or mild symptoms and supportive treatments for fever, 
sore throat and cough may be all that's required and your medical provider may let you know what is suitable for you to use. Should you or a family member become infected, self-quarantining at home in a separate bedroom or part of a house if possible is important with perhaps a nominated family member bringing you your meals or other essentials while using contact and respiratory precautions. This will be, for example, wearing gloves when touching food trays as well as masks and sterilizing all areas of contact that the, the, the individual comes into contact with. Frequent check-ins by family members should be made to ensure your condition doesn't deteriorate during the day. Many cancer centers such as ours will have healthcare workers calling diagnosed patients daily to ensure that they are clinically stable in their home environment. Emergency warning signs when to get immediate medical attention would include, for example, if you're having trouble breathing or you have persistent pain or pressure feeling in your chest, new confusion or if there is some difficulty to be aroused or aroused, you know, a, a loved one, or if there are any bluish lips or face. However, this is not a conclusive list and you should consult your medical provider for any symptoms that are severe or more importantly concerning to you. For patients that are admitted to hospital requiring oxygen or even additional intervention, no drug has been proven to be safe and effective for treating COVID-19. As of last week, however, the FDA has issued an emergency use authorization for the use of the antiviral drug remdesivir for the treatment of hospitalized patients with COVID-19 disease. This approval was based largely on results of a randomized clinical trial as well as some other studies that have shown that the potential benefit of the drug may outweigh the known and potential risks of the individual drug. Other medications, including chloroquine and hydroxychloroquine, are being investigated mostly through clinical trials. However, there is insufficient data for or against its use. But if it is used, there does need to be careful monitoring in view of potential cardiac toxicity. Recent recommendations by the World Health Organization and the CDC are against the use of the hydroxychloroquine or chloroquine in combination with the antibiotic azithromycin because of the potential cardiac toxicities. There is also insufficient data to recommend for or against the use of the um, interleukin-6 inhibitors as well as other cytokine inhibitors such as tocilizumab. Similarly, there is insufficient data for or against the use of convalescent plasma or hyperimmune immunoglobulin. However, numerous clinical trials are ongoing in the country and many recovering individuals, and I'm sure many of you have heard about instances where, where um, individuals are actually having their plasma collected at this time. So people are working tirelessly to develop safe, effective treatments for hospitalized COVID-19 patients. The National Institution of Health has actually issued guidelines for the treatment of COVID-19. As of the 19th of April, the FDA acknowledged 72 active trials and another 211 
in the planning stages. And I'm sure since then that there are probably many more um, in the pipeline. So a very big question that many individuals ask is what is the role of antibody testing in individuals? After exposure by any pathogen um, to an individual, and in particular to viral proteins, the role of an intact immune response is actually to make antibodies to that virus. Individuals make antibodies to an in infection and that's dependent on numerous things. And so one of them is the timing post-infection. Supposedly the severity of the symptoms. So it's thought that obviously the more severe the infection, the higher amount of antibodies that you'll develop. And also whether or not an individual can mount an immune response. The increase in work is currently being done in the development of antibody testing to SARS-CoV-2. That is the actual virus that causes COVID-19 infection. There are, however, several questions that have yet to be answered. We still don't know the answers. Is the antibody test reliable? More importantly, is it able to indicate a person's future immunity to the virus? So there's not enough evidence at this stage that a person who has recovered from COVID-19 is immune to a second infection. We do not know how many antibodies one needs and whether a milder form of infection provides less protection. Studies are required over time and again they are currently in progress. The information currently available from antibody testing is largely unhelpful to many individuals. However, there may be some benefit, for example, in certain areas supporting healthcare workers, screening for studies such as to determine how much of the population has been exposed to SARS-CoV-2, and this is called surveillance research. So this research can potentially help individuals guide a response to a pandemic and to protect the public's health. It may determine potential plasma donors and help in advancing the most promising vaccine candidates. But no antibody test has yet been validated by the FDA. So what about a vaccine? As you're aware, there are currently no vaccines available. However, more than 19 vaccines are being studied and developed against SARS-CoV-2 by research teams and companies and universities across the world. The thought at this stage is that the vaccine will be the ultimate game changer. However, we don't know whether or not a safe and effective vaccine, when it's going to become available, and we are aware that this may still take up to 12 to 18 months. As with the recommendation for seasonal flu vaccinations, when a suitable non-live vaccine becomes available for COVID-19, please ensure that yourselves and your loved ones get vaccinated if it is safe for you to do so. So at this stage, the best way to prevent COVID-19 illness is still to avoid being exposed. And this would include practicing things like physical distancing. For patients, still requiring close follow-up at their clinic appointments. So what can you do to keep safe? So limit your clinic visits if possible. 
Now this, however, does not mean skipping scheduled appointments. These have been made because they are important to your treatment. If you are unwell, receiving chemotherapy, infusions, transfusions, if you have active GVHD or you are early in your post-transplant course, you will likely need to be seen in person. Perhaps if you are needing to see other family members of the healthcare team, such as a nutritionist, a pharmacist, physiotherapist, for example, ask if these appointments can be scheduled on the same day. If you are otherwise clinically stable, you could perhaps ask your team or your provider about the role of telemedicine or telehealth in your case. Here, healthcare providers can connect with their patients normally through a live interactive audiovisual equipment using secure platforms. Also, if practical and if available to you at your facility, see if you can get your blood test drawn when the facility labs are quieter, such as the weekends or perhaps at the beginning or the end of the day. Ask your pharmacist if insurance will allow you to get a three-month supply of your long-term medication. This may save on additional trips to a pharmacy, for example. Medical centers, including ours, take extreme precaution to prevent transmission of COVID-19. Many healthcare centers may limit visitors or accompanying family members and may only allow one visitor or even no visitors. So if a caregiver or a family member is not allowed to accompany a patient to an appointment, they could perhaps listen in by phone to maintain that communication with the provider. This is often the case in many inpatient settings currently where we hear about wonderful anecdotes about patients still being able to communicate with their loved ones through Skype, FaceTime, WhatsApp, etc. For those individuals who have not yet received but who are planning upon either a peripheral blood stem cell or a bone marrow transplant, as part of their treatment, there have been concerns as to the safety during this pandemic. At the outset of the pandemic, many transplant centers, including ours, national and international organization, including the National Maradona Program, as well as accreditation bodies, have worked really hard to create policies and recommendations to allow transplant recipients and donors to proceed with donation and transplantation when it is deemed feasibly safe and justifiable. For many individuals, the timing may depend on the urgency of the transplant. So what I mean by that is the nature or aggressiveness of the underlying malignancy or indication for transplant. Other medical comorbidities, you know, does an individual have underlying lung or cardiac disease? as well as what other alternative or other treatment options are available at that time, such that this may allow rescheduling of the transplant to a later date. We might call this uh, bridging. You may hear the word bridging being used. Timing of transplant will also depend on the incidence of actual new COVID infection cases being detected in the local community, such that the number of new COVID cases infections, if they drop, centers can slowly introduce more patients to their transplant programs. Patients currently awaiting transplantation should reach out to their oncologists 
or transplant centres about their individual concerns and the risk-benefit balance can be discussed. The situation is dynamic and policies and recommendations may change over time. So once more restrictions have been reduced or lifted, one of the questions is, well, how do I navigate society safely? We are going to still have to avoid close contact with people, particularly those who are sick, even those with mild symptoms. And we do need to discuss, uh, sorry, discourage people from actually visiting our homes if they have any symptoms of illness. Avoid travel still as much as possible. Avoid travel on planes, trains, and avoid cruises. If possible, travel by car if you need to travel longer distances, if you can. There are many airlines placing precautions to increase safety during flights, such as wearing masks and perhaps whether or not they're going to be distributing um, seats accordingly. But there still remains large crowds in the boarding lounges and in baggage halls. We have to avoid crowds and large gatherings, especially in poorly ventilated spaces. We have to avoid contact with high-touch surfaces in public spaces, such as elevator buttons, door handles, handrails, um, touch screens, for example. We will have to continue to use face masks. Now, there are multiple online sites that demonstrate how an individual can make a suitable mask. And if you don't have the ability to make one, either look online or reach out to see if any volunteers at your local cancer center are making them. I know a, a patient of ours actually made some wonderful ones. And, and uh, when I'm out of the office and not in the work environment um, at home or having to go to the shops, I, I, I currently use one that a, a, volunteer has, a patient volunteer has made for me. It's wonderful. Your clinics may provide you with standard surgical masks uh, for visits. However, they may need to be discarded if they get wet, dirty, or tear. One of the biggest questions that a lot of individuals have asked is, what about my transition back to work? Um, for those of you that are, are back in the work environment or actually due to go back into the, the, the work environment, speak to your employer before you go back to work. You have every right to ask what precautions they are making to keep employees safe. Do they have a screening process? Ensure you continue to use a face mask at work when six feet physical distancing is not possible. And continue to wash your hands throughout the day. Don't touch your faces. If your job allows, ask your employee if you could work from home even for a few days per week. However, your job may not allow that. Discuss the use of video conferencing instead of in-person meetings. If you're unsure, unsure about your return to work, particularly about your particular risks, speak with your oncologist or your primary care provider to determine what that increased risk is. Similarly, if family members or caregivers that are currently looking after you continue or need to work, they may wish to inquire about similar precautions in their work environment. Other important things you can do for yourself to help stay safe include remaining compliant. 
Patients on current immunosuppression or maintenance chemotherapy should continue their usual therapy unless they are directed otherwise. If, for example, you miss a dose or two of your immunosuppression or the risk of GVHD aside, your lab tests may need to be repeated, and that'll be another trip to the center. If you have elevated blood pressure or diabetes, please take your medication as directed. And if home monitoring is performed, please reach out to your provider should your target values be out of range. For many of you that gave up smoking before your treatment or at the time of your diagnosis, well done. Now is not a good time to start again. Never is probably a good time for numerous health reasons. But if you need help or you wish to stop smoking now, please reach out to your provider or your pharmacist about starting a nicotine replacement program. Eat healthy. Listen to the advice from dietitians and ensure you keep your protein up. If your diet is currently inadequate, multivitamins may be required. Certain vitamins, such as vitamin A, C, D, E, and zinc, are some important nutrients to aid our immune system, but be aware of the recommended daily dose requirements. Some of these vitamins are fat-soluble, so they are retained in the body, so just make sure you're not taking too elevated doses. Sleep well and get enough rest. Take care of your body. Exercise adequately, go for walks, breathe deeply, consider yoga, and even meditation. Some patients and some individuals may take this time to, to um, reach out to their faith or other spiritual um, resources. It's important to reach out to family and friends. Pick up the phone, Skype, or FaceTime. Even though we are physically distancing, we should not be socially isolating ourselves. That's so important. Ensure good mind health. COVID-19 has brought fear, anxiety, and a sense of helplessness to many individuals. Stress can be particularly harmful. Evidence has shown us that chronic stress ramps up inflammation in the body which can produce emotional and physical symptoms such as insomnia, fatigue, headaches, and depression. And we know one of the easiest ways an individual can reduce stress and anxiety is actually to remove or limit the trigger. We continue to read and hear new and updated information about COVID daily, which can, for most of us, be overwhelming and sometimes exhausting. Some information may be false, either intentionally to elicit fear, or more commonly, information that is assumed and not evidence-based. There, there are even many educated and scientific-based assumptions that may be subject to future revisions moving forward. Staying informed is important, but set boundaries for when and how much news you hear or read about the pandemic. If you do like to read and keep up to date, perhaps look to important sites such as the CDC, the FDA, the NIH, World Health Organization, as well as your local cancer centers. 
as well as the National Bone Marrow Transplant Link. Consider avoiding your neighbor's social media Facebook page, Twitter, Instagram. We're all aware of those new couch epidemiologists, as well as infectious disease gurus who have learned everything they know from social media sites. We need to avoid that. Talk to others about your stress. Jen, early on in the call, has previously mentioned some tools and sites available to you, and I'm sure she'll be discussing this a little bit further. But you can also look to your own transplant teams and cancer centre to find additional support. And finally, for most of us, this is a new era, even for me. We don't yet know what the new normal is going to be. We can take heed that the majority of us will succeed through this. And I believe that for most transplant patients, this is actually business as usual. For others, even though many of us find comfort in predictability and we want to get back to life as we know it, we are currently creating a new future and perhaps a new normal. Thanks everyone for listening and, and stay safe out there. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. Laura. You present in such a down-to-earth way, and I'm sure our callers really appreciate all that great information. And yes, I am also going to add on to that and piggyback um, just on some coping techniques before we open up to questions. So um, first of all, for those who don't know me, uh, I just want you to know that I am the staff social worker at the National Bone Marrow Transplant Link, as well as I've been in oncology over 20 years. And so um, I bring all of that and all the wealth of information patients have taught me over the years about coping as well. Uh, but as we move on from this COVID crisis, one of the things I want everyone to think about, wherever you are in your journey, is how did you move on from things in your past? Whether it be the cancer journey, whether it be loss of, loss of loved ones, Hurricane Katrina, 9-11, we have been through challenging times as a nation before. And I ask you, what skills in the past have helped you to move forward? So take the time to reflect on your own personal strengths on what really made a difference, and try to use those very mindfully right now. And dealing with the fear, uh, just kind of piggybacking on what uh, Dr. Connolly had said, ask your doctor how cautious you should be. Where are your counts at? What are maybe new ways you're to handle situations? Or ask the nurses, too. Um, uh, you know, it's important that we try to walk in balance with that, too, because sometimes we can affect the quality of our lives with things that aren't based on evidence. Um, like I remember hearing a story, it was a couple lunch and learns, I believe, ago, where someone had talked about a woman who was told she was no longer immune suppressed, but she still isolated herself greatly and she wouldn't even help her daughter move to college because she was so afraid. And listen to your doctor, listen to all the regulations being given, but also still try to find that balance with things that you can do. Um, 
Also, minimize unnecessary exposure and perhaps look for creative ways to be a part of the moment until we're told that we can go more fully into things. Keep in mind you're told to take precautions that you are investing in your future and for those who love you. Um, I was talking with Dr. Connolly before the call, and I know many of us are getting very anxious staying at home and looking for ways to go out sometimes. And, you know, really looking at it as I'm protecting those I love when I stay home, when I don't have to go out. Or, or looking for ways to do it differently. Like I remember one of our wonderful peers was talking about uh, after his transplant, when his doctors felt he was safe to do so, um, he and his wife used to love to entertain. And they had an outdoor party with not as many people as they usually would invite. I don't know at what point that will be safe moving forward, but I think it's important that we all look for creative ways to make things more safe until our country is in a different spot. Understand also that you might feel uncomfortable for a while. Um, I think to myself, I, there's been a couple of times I was in an accident that my car was totaled. And I did not cause those accidents, thank you, Lord. But at the same time, too, my driving was affected for a while after that. I remember taking much longer to make a turn and making sure traffic had cleared, and even to the point where my daughter had mentioned it to me. And we get a little nervous when something happens to us that we didn't expect. So just be aware of what those triggers are and find your ways, find ways to push yourself just a little beyond your comfort zone each time. Again, walking in total safety, walking in a place of compliance with what your health team is recommending to you. But if it's something that uh, is based on a half-truth and you just aren't comfortable yet, Find ways to soothe yourself and push yourself just a little bit further. It's also important that we combat thoughts that feed fear. Uh, therapists use a lot of techniques for this, and you yourself can too. Um, but there's cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, it's realizing the connection between our thoughts and feelings, how we interpret events. Or sometimes there's thoughts that I like to refer to as the record player thoughts. So things that just loop and loop, like a record skipping and saying the same thing over and over again. Learning ways to calm yourself, distract yourself, and ways to vent emotionally and physically with those things is really important. If you can't control them or if your record gets stuck and you find that you just can't kind of combat some of those negative thoughts. And if it's a heavy feeling that's lasted for about a couple weeks or more, that might be a time that you might want to reach out to your healthcare team and just let them know. Um, because perhaps medication might be something that you need to consider or, or maybe reaching out to a counselor. Um, there's also the thought distortions or black and white thinking or even the overgeneralizing um, that sometimes people say, well, something bad's going to happen. It's going to happen to me. You're setting yourself up to feed that fear. Be realistic. It's okay to not be okay all the time. If it's affecting how you function, if it's heavy for a couple of weeks or more, again, you can reach out for help. 
but realize it's kind of normal that we're not all perfectly fine during this. Um, we don't have to be perfectly fine, and we don't have to be perfectly devastated. There's several places in between, and um, we don't have to be living in extremes. Minimize things that feed your fear, uh, like the doctor, uh, Dr. Cattling was talking about as well, like having the news on too much, or being around overly anxious people, or over-caffeinating, stimulating, a high-stress lifestyle, a lack of boundaries. Um, for example, maybe everyone in your house is doing what they want and um, not really thinking about you are more compromised right now. And so setting those boundaries of what you need to do to protect yourself. Perhaps consider journaling fears and um, fighting those thoughts on paper. What evidence do you really have for the fears you have right now? At the same time, maybe make a list of everything that's still going well. I remember hearing uh, Anne um, Frank quote about even when there's misery, there's still beauty. And at the same time, feed the opposite of the fear. What brings you a sense of peace? Do more of what brings you peace mentally, spiritually, and physically. Allow yourself a little more rest right now. Chaos drains energy. And being overly tired can make us more emotional, too. Um, keep in mind right now, everything's probably taking more energy than it used to because we're carrying more emotional energy and concern. As well as, um, I, I do private practice as well, and I cannot tell you how many people are telling me that they're having weird dreams right now. And I remember for a long time, I thought dreams were great because dreams tell us that we're in that REM sleep that can really give us that balance and rejuvenate us. But I have a patient who has narcolepsy right now who has too many dreams, and so he gets overly stimulated. And I personally, it's not backed by any clinical research, but I think there's an over-alertness happening sometimes in our sleep cycles right now um, that could be making people more tired, too, because there's such a thing as too much REM. But anyway, learn to advocate for yourself and communicate your needs. If you're expected to reenter the work world too soon, perhaps get a note from your doctor explaining you need to be at heightened risk, and it's advised you to work remotely if possible for a longer period. If you have a doctor's appointment or labs to get, Call ahead and ask when the office is less busy or if you can wait in the car and they could call you when it's your turn. Some fears beyond the health also accompany this. For example, many people have been hit hard financially during this pandemic. First, remember, we have many resources on our Facebook page, so you could consider liking it and you'll get updates on some of those resources. Remember to reach out to any companies you might need some grace with. Consider loans from either the bank, the government, or even home equity if necessary. And many sites have some great resources compiled for fighting cancer during this crisis, such as Immerman's Angels has a whole COVID uh, resource page, Cancer Care, AARP, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, United Way, and Triage Cancer and more. Look at what is available to you and be flexible with your thinking. For example, they may offer help with utilities, and you might say, well, I don't have a problem with my utilities. 
But if you can get help with your utilities, maybe that'll free up some money for some of those other things that you're having a hard time paying. So just consider to think outside the box right now and try to develop more perseverance. Because whatever we uh, feed will grow. And at this time, I would like to open up for questions for our callers. So Sierra, could you please tell them how to do that? Absolutely. If you would like to ask a question, please signal by pressing star 1 on your telephone keypad. If you are using a speakerphone, please make sure your mute function is turned off to allow your signal to reach our equipment. A voice prompt on the phone will indicate when your line is open. Please state your name before posing your question. Again, press star 1 to ask a question. We'll pause for just a moment to allow everyone an opportunity to signal for questions. All right, we'll go ahead and take the first question. Please go ahead. Hello. Hi, do we just speak individually or? Yes, feel free. Hi, um, my name is Leslie Doyle. I was just wondering, do you think I'll be stuck inside all summer? Like, it'll be like no beach time, no visiting parents, stuff like that. I will let you take that, Doctor. <laughs> sure. Sorry, I, I do apologize. I missed the very first beginning of the question. Sorry. Oh, I just was wondering, oh, do you no. think we'll be stuck inside all summer? I had two questions. One is I am wondering when it will be safe to see my parents because I really want to give them a hug, and my dad's older sure. and has diabetes. And the other question is we usually go some summertime at, at, a, at a beach that's not very occupied, and I didn't know if that would be safe to do it all the summer. I think um, I think it's going to be variable, and I think it's a lot of it is going to de be dependent on the state in which people do live. Um, I think a lot of uh, decisions are actually going to be very much state-based, um, and that is going to depend on the actual incidence of COVID-19. And I think with a lot of states relaxing conditions now at the moment. It will be interesting to see whether or not we do get the second wave that you know people have talked about like there was in the 1918 pandemic. So I think at the moment, I don't think there the is enough information to actually say uh, in individual states whether or not, yes, it would happen. Like yourself, it would be absolutely wonderful. I have two young children, and to get them out there, it would be fantastic. We had a, a trip to... Uh, the seaside booked, and uh, I'm not sure how that's going to go, but um, if in the event that the beaches are opened, as you do and as you clearly have stated that you go to quite a beach, I think that that, that really is important. I think once um, areas become safer, I think, you know, for um, for your health as well, get out and do that, but but stay safe. You know, if there are people around, keep a mask on. Um, I think that this virus is going to be here for a while, and I do think coming up to fall and winter, it's going to be interesting to see. Um, but it's, as again I've said, it's going to be very based on individual states as to what does get to open for summer. Okay, thank you. And then what do you think about safety for seeing parents if I'm quarantining at home and they're quarantining at home? Sure. And I know that's also, you know, very much a tough one. 
um, what I have told my own patients in itself is that, you know, if this continues to, to be out and stay out, I don't think, I, I think you can visit once things are a little bit more relaxed. Visit, but maybe not necessarily do the hug if, if the prevalence or the incidence of COVID-19 is there. You know, perhaps if you're within six feet from each other, just wear a mask. And I know that that is so heartbreaking because the, 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 what you want to do is you want to reach out and, you know, give your loved ones a hug. And I think it's important. And I think if you are a, a, a cancer patient or certainly within that time frame that your immune system is also a little bit weakened, um, you know, just simple precautions like that. But I, I had a, pa I had a patient who it was her birthday, and um, she was uh, an elderly uh, individual, and said, "Hey, you know, can my son come? He stayed away all of this time." And I've said, "Yes, if he wants to come, he wanted to bring her a plant, but just stay." six feet away and she had a great plan she came up with a wonderful plan that the weather was getting good that they were going to sit outdoors six feet away but at least that you know on her birthday she could spend some time with her son and you know they could get chatting so so things like that until we get a little bit more information about um, the incidence of, of COVID and, and safety moving forward okay great thank you thanks once again, that is star one to ask a question. If you find your question has been answered, you may remove yourself from the queue by pressing star two. We'll take the next question. Please go ahead. Hi, this is Lisa Durrett. I'm calling from Nevada. Thank you so much for your wonderful presentation. Oh, thank you. So, we appreciate thank you. you being here with us today. So here's my question. I am... First of all, I'm a physician, which doesn't help matters any, because I'm not in the oncology sure. specialty. And um, I'm yeah. a, year and a, half, a year and a half out from transplant, but I had mm -hmm. uh, really adverse reaction to um, nivolumab, where I ended up with severe pneumonitis and a hospitalization, nephritis, et cetera. So come around full circle. It's a year and a half from the transplant. My IgG levels are granted low normal, but they're there. Uh, white count, CBC, everything looks good. Where, how do I gauge my actual risk as an otherwise healthy 45-year-old? Sure. So, Lisa, could I ask you, did you have a, a, an autologous or an allogeneic stem cell transplant? It was an autotransplant. An autotransplant, okay. So, so certainly the way I look at this is, is that dependent on treatment people had, you know, certainly the immunotherapy or monoclonal antibodies, it's not uncommon for the B cells to be significantly reduced for a period of time. And that's probably one of the reasons why your IgG level is a little bit low. But, but it sounded like you said in the low normal range. I do think that um, the way I tend to look at this is I tend to say for autotransplants, that additional safety period, if someone's not on maintenance chemotherapy, is probably about a year for that immune function to stop, you know, getting back to, to some type of normality. Allotransplants, I say maybe two years, but unless individuals are still on immunosuppression or they have got chronic graft versus host disease, it will be as persistent 
as that. For individuals that have received monoclonal antibody therapy or other types of immunotherapy whereby their immunoglobulins are less, it may take a little bit longer. I think that the only thing here in the history is I'm not sure what, let's say for example, I don't think your risk of getting it is any higher than anybody else's, but just in view of the history potentially of the nephritis and the underlying lung toxicity, it may be perhaps that you may be an individual that may be predisposed to, if you did get it, a higher risk of um, complications, if that makes sense. So I think that, I th I think that yourself, is probably the way I pretty much look at myself at the moment in as much as even though I don't fall into any risk category, my biggest risk category is I don't want to transmit anything to one of my patients. So I'm very cautious and do all of that. Now on the flip side to that, I actually do believe that one of the reasons why you had a transplant is so that we could potentially cure this disease so that you could have a better quality of life. And as Jen has alluded to, I think we also have to make sure that we keep that positivity about all of this. I mean, there are people surviving this, that there are great positivities that are coming out of this. And so I think what it is is that I know each individual person determining their actual immune function at the moment. Um, so I would put you at a slightly higher risk but the fact that you're a little bit further out than one year of an auto-transplant um, and you, your IgGs are, are on the borderline low, but they're there and not requiring immuno, you know, uh, um, I think that perhaps you may still have a good chance that when the vaccine does become available that you may have a, re may have a response to that. So I'm hoping that does answer in some way. Um, I think sitting down with your oncologist, if you, you were unsure, they're probably going to be the best providers of giving you that specific information. Thank you. I really appreciate your answer. Thank you. Sure. No problem. All right, and we'll take the next question. Please go ahead. Hello. Hi. Hello. Hello? Hi, yes, feel free to speak. Uh, this is George. Hi, George. Hi, George. Do you have a question? Yes. Uh, because my wife will carry a multi myeloma on pancreas, uh, it's, it's only option to do the bone marrow to do a treatment, or you need, she need to do uh, a uh, chemotherapy first, then uh, then doing the bone marrow and they don't. So George, if I'm not mistaken, you're mentioning that your wife has multiple myeloma and your question is, is does she need a bone marrow transplant perhaps maybe at this stage or later? And that's a, that's a very good question. Um, we, what we do know is standard of care for multiple myeloma during the treatment is an autologous transplant and that's just from some evidence that's shown us that the prolongation of survival. Now I must say that there's been a lot of drugs since then and a lot of research has gone into multiple myeloma. 
such that now some of the new novel therapies are, are managing to reduce the amount of disease before individuals do go to a transplant. What I think in the setting of COVID-19, while this, everything was up and running and, and the, the disease was pretty rampant, I think what a lot of institutions were doing, and particularly ours as well, is that seeing whether or not individuals could continue, if they were on um, chemotherapy, continue another couple of cycles of that chemotherapy that was holding them before bone marrow transplant became a little bit more safer um, to do. Now, when we talk about safety of bone marrow transplant, a lot of the reason for it is that um, one, particularly for stem cell transplant patients with myeloma, perhaps it involves patients being admitted to hospital. Um, a lot of blood products may be required. Um, and, and so people take all of that into consideration. But I do need to say that the balance that outweighs the risk. So there are some patients with multiple myeloma that have quite significant disease that may even be refractory to chemotherapy that despite this may need to get on and get the bone marrow transplant done. But again, have a chat with your oncologist for her individual case, what her extent of her disease burden is and what treatment options are available for her. That would be my best recommendation. Okay. So any the you know a patient who will carry a high risk so they may do the bone marrow transplant first or they, they just do the chemotherapy? Like the C D seventeen, something like that. And P So for normally patients with multiple myeloma, they normally reduce and they get rid of what we call debulking the disease. They normally treat with chemotherapy first before a bone marrow transplant. A bone marrow transplant comes a little bit later on in the treatment. So chemotherapy is normally the first treatment that is given for patients with multiple myeloma. We don't normally tend to do a bone marrow transplant upfront in patients with multiple myeloma. Okay, thank you. Thank you, you are uh, and Once again, if you'd like to ask a question, please press star 1. And it appears there are no further questions at this time. Ms. Gillette, I'd like to turn the conference back to you for any additional or closing remarks. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Sierra. And thank you again, Dr. Connolly. You have just been a wealth of information on all kinds of topics. So we are very thankful for you making the time to be here today. I'd like to let everyone know that we have another Lunch and Learn on May 20th at 12 o'clock this month, which will be managing oral health issues before, during, and after a bone marrow stem cell transplant. And it will focus on uh, chronic graft-versus-host disease as well there. And if anyone needs any more additional support after this call, uh, just know that uh, National Bone Marrow Transplant Link continues to be there, and if you want to email us or call us, we'll be happy to answer questions or support you in any way we can. So again, thank you all for joining us, and I hope everyone has a wonderful day. This concludes today's call. Thank you for your participation. You may now disconnect.